Please join me in prayer. O oh, gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I do promise to you all that I have not and I will not forget our passage from Ephesians for today. But before I read from the letter to the Ephesians, I would like to focus on Solomon and our passage from 1 Kings chapter 3. In the verses leading up to this passage from Kings, we have heard and read this morning, Solomon has just ascended to the throne. He's taken over for his father, King David, and he's been working to solidify his kingdom through political moves, including a marriage agreement that would have him marrying the daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt. Solomon has gone to the high places in Gibeon to sacrifice and is visited to God, by God in a dream. Solomon may be said to walk in the ways of his father David, but he has brokered a marriage with a foreigner, not just any foreigner, but one from Egypt, the land that has enslaved the chosen people of Israel before the Exodus. He has been sacrificing in the high places, a somewhat common practice for the time, but a practice that nonetheless is associated with worshiping false idols. And he's been doing this in Gibeon and not in Jerusalem. All of this put together makes his character a little questionable, although he is certainly not malicious. And Solomon may be said to be a good servant of the Lord, but he is certainly an imperfect one. And yet, however imperfect Solomon may be, God still comes to Solomon in a dream. And in this dream... God lets Solomon ask him for anything. God says to Solomon, Ask, what should I give you? What should I give you? If God said to you or to me, What should I give you? How do you think you would respond? How would I respond? I cannot be sure how I would respond or what I would ask for. I'd like to think that I could ask for something meaningful and something lasting, something that I could use to help others although I will not lie and say that I wouldn't great, be greatly appreciative if God could erase all of my student loans, I think that may be a little selfish, and I don't really believe that's how God works. And I cannot help but think that God may have been testing and baiting Solomon to ask for something selfish. And Solomon, working hard to establish and maintain the kingdom he just inherited, has every right and working hard to establish his own political stability, could have easily asked for something selfish. However, Solomon does not ask for riches or for honor. He does not ask for a powerful army or for protection from his enemies. He doesn't even just simply ask, God, give me a successful reign. He asks for abilities that will enable him to successfully rule. As we hear from 1 Kings Solomon asked God, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. Some other possible translations of this passage have Solomon asking God for an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. Or a discerning mind in order to govern your people and distinguish between good and evil. The wisdom... I need to rule your people with justice, 
and to know the difference between good and evil. This passage is commonly referred to as Solomon's prayer for wisdom, and he is indeed granted wisdom, as we learn in the next chapter of 1 Kings, that God gave Solomon very great wisdom, discernment, and breadth of understanding, as vast as the sand of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed all the wisdom of the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Solomon didn't take the bait of asking for honor and riches or something selfish, but he instead asked and prayed to God for wisdom. Wisdom, it is a theme and concept we see and hear and read about throughout the Bible. In fact, whole books of our Old Testament are categorized as wisdom literature. And the theme of wisdom is not lost in the New Testament either. In the letter to the Ephesians, the author urges the importance of wisdom. Listen for what God is telling the church as I read our second scripture reading from the epistles to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The author of Ephesians gives us an imperative, a command, or rather a set of three. Three don'ts and three do's. The don'ts are do not be unwise, do not be foolish, do not get drunk with wine. All of these don'ts are paired with and have a corresponding do. The author tells us, do be wise, do understand the will of the Lord, and do be filled with the Spirit. As I was reading these imperatives from Ephesians and reading about Solomon in 1 Kings, I was reminded of one of my all-time favorite literary characters from one of my all-time favorite books. The book is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from the series The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I first started to appreciate, to appreciate this particular character as I grew up reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and watching the BBC movie adaptations, and I continue to appreciate this character as I reread and continue to reread because I just love this book. This book and watch the more recent Hollywood adaptation. The story follows the four Pevensey siblings, Lucy, Edmund, Susan, and Peter, as they are taken into the magical land of Narnia, where animals can talk and trees can dance. And they're taken through an old wardrobe in a spare room. I may not fully have fully understood when I was a child, or even fully understand to this day, why Edmund happens to be my favorite of the Fevensey children. But there are a variety of reasons why I do resonate with Edmund. One reason may be because he feels that he has to be in competition and prove himself against his older brother, Peter. And after years of growing up at school and in band at tennis as Sean's little brother, 
I can sympathize with Edmund's angst and desire to prove himself as his own person and not just be someone's little brother. But the primary reason why I resonate with this character is that he truly learns and grows in ways that the other characters don't. In the beginning of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Edmund is honestly a major pain. He is mean to his sister Lucy, he lies, he puts his trust in the wrong person, and in all honesty, he makes, his li- makes life a whole lot worse for his brother and sisters. He's even described as nasty and spiteful. However, by the end of the story, he is a transformed person. Despite the mistakes that Edmund made, he was forgiven. And despite his poor judgment at the beginning of the story, by the end, it is Edmund who is known as the just. Not that the others are considered unjust by any means, but at the end, by the end of the story, it is Edmund, the formerly nasty and spiteful, mean Edmund, who is revered for his ability to make wise decisions and to know and discern good from bad. Solomon, like Edmund, is working to outgrow the shadow of another. For Solomon, this is his father, King David. And for Edmund, it is his older brother, Peter. Both make mistakes. Both are not perfect. But both are known for their wisdom. And this wisdom is distinctly marked by their ability to make decisions and their ability to discern what is good from what is bad. I think Edmund would make the author of Ephesians proud because he's learned to live a life with wisdom. The author of Ephesians is providing living instructions to other early Christians, teaching them to live in a new and different way, teaching early Christians how to live in the light of the gospel, and instructing early Christians on how to live appropriate lives that witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, asking them to learn and grow as Edmund learned and grew. So the author of Ephesians provides many suggestions and instructions and imperatives on how to live life as a new community, a new growing community of believers. And it is particularly noteworthy that the author tells us both not to not live as unwise, but also to not be foolish. In many places in the Bible, foolishness and folly are considered the opposite of wisdom. And so we are essentially given the same command twice in a row in just only slightly different terms. Do not be unwise and do not be foolish. There is, however, a seemingly bigger difference when we examine the appropriate do's for these closely and intimately related don'ts. For do not be unwise, we are asked to be wise. For do not be foolish, on the other hand, we are told to understand the will of the Lord. Making it relatively safe to assume that being wise and understanding the will of God are not just similar, but are intimately related. Much like Solomon, who asked for an understanding, a discerning, and a listening heart or mind, and is granted wisdom, the author of Ephesians 
asks us to be wise and to understand the will of the Lord. And the third of the sets of do's and don'ts from Ephesians this morning, of imperatives from this morning's text, we are asked to not get drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. The specific imperative is most likely a direct reference to different Greco-Roman religious groups that would use wine and alcohol as a way to induce religious ecstasy. But we do not need the assistance of alcohol. We have given it to the Spirit to fill our hearts with thankfulness. Not only does this imperative give us insight into what we call wise worship practices, or worship practices that would match up with the will of God, it also provides a glimpse of what early Christian worship was already forming as. And we are told by the author of Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I can't help but think how familiar that sounds to what we've been doing this morning. And through this, we are provided with another clue as to what wisdom looks like as well. It's being thankful and worshiping God. When we consider how these verses from Ephesians are related and how Solomon's request for understanding and discernment are granted and described as wisdom, we learn that wisdom is not some accumulation of knowledge or facts, but rather a way of living and a way of being. Wisdom is an understanding, a thankfulness to God. It's an ability to discern and an ability to orient our hearts and minds to follow the will of God. In Eugene Peterson's The Message, which is a modern-day translation, language, interpretation of the Bible, Eugene Peterson renders Solomon's request from 1 Kings as, quote, Give me a God-listening heart so that I can lead your people well, discerning the difference between good and evil. Wisdom is having a God-listening heart. Wisdom is desiring to serve and worship the Lord, our wonderful Creator. Wisdom is learning to follow the will of God. And wisdom is listening with our hearts to what God is calling us to do. I have been honored this summer to help work with the walk-in ministry most Mondays. I think this is one of the ways that Second listens to what God is calling us to do. And even as part of this ministry, individuals and volunteers listen to the needs of our neighbors, which is another place where we can listen for the will of God and how God is calling us to help others and how God is calling us to learn and discern how we can love our neighbors as we love ourselves. This is but one of the many ways that Second Presbyterian is engaged in the world with wisdom. Like Solomon and like Edmund, we have all made mistakes in our past, and all of us are bound to make many, many mistakes in our futures. But despite our flaws, and despite our mistakes, and despite our transgressions, despite our sins, 
We are called to seek wisdom, to seek understanding, to seek learning. We are called to listen with our hearts for the will of God in all aspects of our lives. And hopefully we, like Solomon, can be given wisdom and God-listening hearts. Please join me in prayer. Gracious and loving Creator God, you have called us as your servants. Imperfect as we may be, you have sent us your Holy Spirit that we may be enlivened to follow you. Grant us God-listening hearts in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.